Hey there, welcome to the City Rev Life Podcast. My name is Justin. I'm here with Rebecca, and we are glad that you are joining us, whether watching uh, on video or listening, wherever you may be. Yep. Uh, we're glad that this is a part of your day. And we have conversations here on our podcast about what it looks like to live like Christ in a modern city. And we're talking about the topic of empathy. In fact, we've done a few of these on this topic. It's such an important concept. And if you haven't listened to any of our previous episodes on empathy, I highly encourage encourage uh, you to go ahead and check those out as soon as this is over. Um, but to basically give us a roadmap, uh, Rebecca, why don't you just lead us off and give uh, those who are watching or listening an idea of where we're going yep. in this conversation about empathy mm. in parenting. Yeah. So I, first of all, would like to say I'm not an expert in this. Certainly I am okay. a work in progress myself, but, okay. um, you know, best practices are out there and I have found them to be proven to be effective. So we're going to talk about basically right. how to stay connected to our kids in moments of disruption. So it's not a, you know, five-step plan on how to fix your teenager or, mm. um, if you does do, one exist, does one is? exist? That is a great question. I do not believe so. I don't believe I so I think either. if I had it, I could market it and you and would be a very wealthy person. <laughs> five steps to, okay. Anyway. Uh, I wish it was that simple. So, um, but it's empathy. You can stay connected connected right. mm -hmm. despite the conflict, despite the loss, despite mm -hmm. the boo-boos, you know, the trauma, sure. whatever it is. And so I think that's what we're looking for ultimately is staying connected with our kids through these moments in life. All right. Sweet. So let's um, start by defining what we mean by empathy in case those who are um, with us haven't listened to our previous conversations about it. Uh, we've given a little bit of examples of what empathy is and what it isn't. Mm -hmm. But here's another way, another angle to think yep. about it. Yeah, we're going to build upon that Good. Uh, podcast that we've done before, but we're going to cater the definition today for empathy as lending our kids our strength. So lending them your strength right. rather than pointing out their weaknesses. Got it. Um, so, you know, behaviors are often an expression of an unmet need. Yeah. That's the easiest way to see that is through our kids and toddlers. Now we mm -hmm. both have little ones, little ones. Yes. And we, my 18 month old is definitely doing the ah, screaming <laughs> and she can't communicate what she wants. Right. Yes. I'm sure you're very familiar with that. Yes. Um, so you know, it's can be annoying, but we understand they don't yeah. have the words yet. She has right. maybe about a dozen words. Sure. So it's understanding, okay, these behaviors are coming from an unmet need. And same That's with right. even our teenagers when they get older, so much of their behaviors come from not feeling understood mm -hmm. or heard or validated. And, um, those behaviors can stem from that. Not all the time. There's just straight up defiance sometimes, but oftentimes I think yeah. it comes from that. So Think about in this terms, our kids, when they're born, their brains are like wet cement. Mm -hmm. And so we are constantly imprinting and we're shaping and we get this front row seat as parents to be able to just watch their little brains unfold and discover yeah. the world for the first time. It's just, it's yeah. so beautiful. I yeah. love that part of parenting. And mm -hmm. um, like wet cement though, over time it hardens. And so what research has shown us is a fully developed brain doesn't necessarily happen until they're about 25, even 30 years old. Wow. And the brain develops from the inside out and from the back to the front. Okay. So the last thing to develop in your brain is this really mm. front part right here behind your forehead called the frontal lobe. And that's where all the good decision making happens, <laughs> the reasoning, all the things that we are looking for from our kids that they just don't have the tools in their toolbox yet until yeah. they're about 25 to 30. Wow. 
That's, that's crazy to think about yep. and the way that that develops. And I, I think about my own kids and that's an interesting observation with babies. It's so easy for us to think, you know, if they're crying or yelling, it's because they need either food or they have a yep. dirty diaper or they need to go to sleep. Yep. It's those easy things. But basically as children develop, there are more grown up, uh, if you will, mature versions of that. Exactly. So, so, all right. So that's what we mean by empathy, lending our strength as parents to our children rather than pointing out their weakness. That's good. Okay. We were talking a little bit before about this, about an illustration of the way that you think about empathy as though it's a dance. Mm. I like to think of it as a waltz personally, (laughs) but whatever dance you have in mind, walk us through that illustration. What do you mean by the empathetic So the best way to, I think, view it is like you said, is really looking at a parent infant type relationship. So when an infant is born every two to three hours, they're getting this repetition of eat, change, sleep, you know, eat, change, play, Mm -hmm. sleep every two to three hours. They're getting that. And God designed that so beautifully because every time we're doing that multiple times a day, it's like we're laying down a brick in their brain or laying down another brick and another Mm. brick. And we're laying multiple bricks down in their brain and ultimately creating this like six lane highway where empathy and trust and love and acceptance those yeah. that becomes the highway for all of that, that that they need to become fully functioning adults one day yeah. right so when you think about okay when a baby is um crying you know we meet that need and um it seems counterintuitive or it seems not, it seems maybe, I guess, obvious, but we're using our empathetic skills as parents. We're mm-hmm. saying, okay, I know why they're crying. Let me go to them and meet their need. I'm not going to shame them that they need to eat. I'm not going right. to discipline them. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go to them and meet that need. And so it's the very beginnings of what the empathetic dance looks like. They express a need and I meet it. They express a need and I meet it. And what's amazing is we now have research that confirms what has been happening for millennia, which is kids need that to grow, to become successful. And research shows that yes, every time you're getting that repetition in for them, Mm. they are becoming more and more empathetic, building trust, understanding that this world can be a safe place in the context of relationship. Yeah. So why is this so important? Let's talk about this from a um, somewhat neurochemistry standpoint. Now, you were a bio major. Microbiology, yes. Mi- I'm a science nerd. I oh love science. <laughs> Big so, fan. I am not that, but I do find this pretty fascinating. Yeah, sure. So um, let's take, for example, when that th- baby cries at 3 a.m. in the morning, the stress center of their brain lights up. So the stress center is just... And the parent's brain stress center. That's right. <laughs> You're absolutely right. Oh, okay. I did was I, getting there. Did I jump ahead? No, that's good though. Okay. So the stress center is located just above your ear in the middle of your okay. brain. Okay. okay. So when I said your, develop, your brain develops from the middle out, this has already developed. This doesn't okay. need that much more development. It does get it, but it's, it's working. Right. So that stress center um, alerts. And then at 3 a.m., like you said, a parent's stress yes. center also alerts. Because what is it like when you're woken up at three in the morning? It's Horrible. Dysregulating, right? <laughs> yes, yes. Yes. And it happens multiple times. So our stress center is like, ah, oh, ah. Oh. And then what? We get out of bed. It's what gets us out of bed. But ultimately, as we're walking down the hallway to that baby's room, our frontal lobe is taking over. It's like if I could draw a line from the middle of your brain to your forehead, it's like we've got this well-traveled pathway that lets us know, okay, no one's in any real danger. My mm-hmm. child is safe. They're yeah. just hungry. They're screaming right. as if they don't know where their next meal is going to come from. Right. But in all reality, they don't know that this is a safe and loving world yet, right. that you're a safe and loving parent. So they are mm-hmm. screaming as if 
they don't know where their next meal is going to come mm-hmm. from. So, but for us, we know, and so we ultimately, our frontal lobe is taking over and we're calm, we're, we're recognizing we're gonna meet their needs and then we will lovingly put them back to sleep so that yes. we can lovingly go back to sleep, yes. right? And get the rest we need. Yeah. So, um, but what we're doing is, our stress centers are both activated. And so we're meeting them where they're at, but then our frontal lobe takes over and we're taking them the rest of the way. It's kind of like this. When you pick a baby up and you hold them close to your heart, you know that their heartbeat will calm down and regulate to the rhythm of yours within almost seconds. Mm. And so that happens with infants, especially if you've, if you've done this a couple times. It's like as soon as you pick them up, they know, oh, good, you're here. I'll be okay. We haven't changed a diaper yet. We haven't fed anyone yet. We haven't met their actual physical Mm. needs. But they know as we draw them close to our heart, Mm. their heartbeat actually will echo the rhythm of ours. And that dance has already started. Mm. They know that this is a safe person. And so we eventually, of course, meet the needs. But the empathy is what has started first. Okay. So then continuing on then, we see that play out when it comes to a parent with an infant how does this continue to unfold in the rest of our parenting? So I'm thinking of parents who might be watching or listening right now who maybe they have a 10-year-old or right. a teen or you right. know somewhere, anywhere in that range. How does this play out, this idea of empathy yep. in your parenting? So that's good because you know they don't stay infants. Their needs yes. are not so um, juvenile as right. that. And the answer is simple, but it's uh, very unpopular. Yeah. Um, so basically we can't lead our kids or ask our kids to go somewhere where we haven't gone ourselves. Mm. And so much like, um, you know, on an airplane, when a flight attendant says, please secure your mask first before helping those around you, you right. know, especially if you have multiple children, our instinct as parents is to put the mask on our kids first. Right. Um, and that's not a bad instinct, but what's counterintuitive is it's actually better for you to put yours on first and then help the others. Mm-hmm. So if we haven't gone to a place yet where we're f- fully regulated and letting that frontal lobe take over and to disarm our stresses, then yeah. we can't successfully lead our kids. Mm. So um, there's different ways that you can know if that's happening. Because I think for us, most of us as parents, you know, for the most part, we are able to do that. We have these little hiccups along the way, right? That our spouses sometimes can lovingly point out, or maybe we're mindful enough that we're saying, you know, whenever this issue comes up with my daughter, whenever this issue comes up with my toddler yeah. son, this is when we always butt heads. If you know that, use that to your advantage. Right. So I call that follow the trigger. So if mm. you've got an issue that regularly, repeatedly comes up, or you're finding that you avoid a certain topic or a certain time of the day, like yeah. bedtime, like, oh, I hate bedtime because it produces so much conflict. Yeah. Take that as a cue. If you're avoiding something, if you have a disproportionate reaction to something like, okay, they dropped that, clearly it was an accident, but I'm freaking out and frustrated as mm. if as if they did it on purpose. Use that as a cue. Or if you find yourself in a higher level of distress than normal, that is a cue for yourself to, okay, I've got to get to a place where my frontal lobe needs to run the show. I need to disarm my stress. Um, why is this causing me so much yeah. um, more of an issue than maybe it should or it yeah. could? Or my wife or my spouse is able to handle that so much better. I wish I could do that as well. So use that as a cue. Follow the trigger. And then we're going to draw to the heart of the one who can ultimately regulate our heartbeat. But let me pause here and just share a story of what I feel like, um, 
someone did this really well. There was a, a lady, her name was Debbie, and she had a teenage daughter, and same thing, she was getting to a place in their relationship where they had this one conflict, and whenever they came against it, it was just causing a disconnect in their relationship. Mm-hmm. And she just was unsatisfied with that. It wasn't bad, there weren't like drugs involved, you know, it wasn't like, what do we think, like the big quote unquote bad behaviors. It was just a disconnect in their relationship and it was causing more and more of a rift. Mm. So she sought godly counsel. And um, through that time, she recalled uh, a, a memory from her childhood. Now she, Debbie reported that she had a very fine childhood. She'd considered her childhood more or just as happy as most people. Sure. So she came from a loving home, but she does recall a time when she would come to her mother looking for help or um, care or concern for her boo-boos or her wounds. And um, she didn't get the reaction that she expected. Mm. So there was this one time she was on the playground and she shares this, that she came, she scraped her knee and there was some blood. It wasn't obviously bad, but Mm -hmm. it was enough to warrant some tears and want some attention. And so she came to her mom and um, when her mom got interrupted with Debbie's boo-boos, uh, she, she did this. She went and rolled her eyes. So mm, she gave her a sigh, sigh, kind of rolled her eyes. Yeah. Oh, Debbie. This is a bother. This is a bother. Right. right. And now Debbie may have been an overdramatic child. I don't know. I did not know her as a child. She you know, may have had more of a flair for the drama. I don't know. But mm. what I do know is that response over time left an impression. Hmm. And there was a moment Debbie said that, probably in her teen years, maybe around the time when her daughter was the same age, where she thought to herself, never again when I'm an adult will I be met with a sigh and a rolling of the eyes when I'm trying to use my voice to get my needs met. Mm. Now, it wasn't articulated quite as you know yeah. succinctly as that, but essentially there was a moment in her development where she recalled that. Wow. So now three decades later, she has a daughter about the same age. And Debbie is doing what every good parent is doing, trying to lovingly lend her daughter her strength Mm -hmm. in her daughter's time of weakness and guide her to protect her and to love her and to become successful with her. And so when Debbie gave that instruction, what did the daughter do? (sighs) Oh, mom, with an (laughs) eye roll, right? (laughs) Which any listening person can just empathize. Well, yeah, that doesn't surprise me. Yeah. Most teenagers, most teenage girls can tend to do that. Sure. I probably did that sure. as a teenager. So we can empathize and we can even laugh to some extent that that is, of course, is that reaction. Yeah. So the reaction in and of itself is not necessarily out of context for a teenage daughter. However, what it was the ripple effect that it was having on their relationship mm. because of Debbie's past experiences was leaving their relationship in a place where she was discontent. Yeah. So essentially what was going on in Debbie's brain was that stress center that got activated by that eye rolling. She never created a pathway to go back to the frontal lobe and say, okay, let me let this run the show rather than her stress center. Yeah. The stress stayed high, which then her daughter matched that. Her stress became even higher. And then that part of the brains are what are communicating and right. not the fully developed logical reasoning side. Right. So what do you do then in that point, point mm. right? We talked about drawing close to the heart of our parent. We draw close to the heart of our father. Mm-hmm. If we want to echo his heartbeat in those moments, mm-hmm. we have to run to him. And he essentially is saying, let me lend you my strength in this moment 
Yeah. While we're figuring this out as the great counselor that he is, mm-hmm. let's work this out. Let me lend you my strength mm-hmm. and borrow my words, borrow my story, borrow Jesus who had a, a fully developed brain and a body and he had to work through this out, borrow his narrative mm-hmm. as you're parenting in this context until I can bring you the rest of the way, make you stronger in that. And we essentially are doing what we're doing with our infants when we're, we draw them close. We draw close to the heart of the father and we echo his heartbeat. Uh, well, I think of, as you were sharing that, I think of what, what we talked about earlier with the concept of wet cement. Mm-hmm. And we realize as parents, that's not just true of our children. That's true of us. Yes. And so there might be some things like for your friend, Debbie, mm-hmm. um, that were the wet cement of our childhood that are leading and guiding the way we approach parenting our own children that are coming to bear on it. So that idea of starting with ourself. Um, making sure that we're in a place where we can lead our children. We're noticing, hey, this same issue keeps stressing right. me out and right. causes an inordinate, um, exaggerated response for me. And that's sure. something we need to work through. Uh, moving them beyond that, what does then, if we got to that place where we're in a, where we're yep. able to lead them, we're in a place where we can as we draw near to the heart of our father, yeah. start to enter into that empathetic dance with our, with our, our children. What does it look like next? Yeah. So, um, if you get to a place where you're noticing, yeah, okay, I need to press into that. Cause not all situations will, but if you do find that, um, and you're in the middle of a moment, first thing you can do is pay attention to the tension. Okay. Pay attention S- to the tension. Yes. So what do I mean by that? So remember I talked about mm-hmm. that, that nice pathway from the middle of your brain to your frontal lobe that we mm-hmm. want to be well-traveled. Yeah. Unfortunately, our brain and our body don't actually work that way. <laughs> so mm-hmm. um, what technically happens is when our stress center is activated, it actually sends a signal to the back of our brain. So it'd be like if you played baseball, right? Yep, I did. So what, what position did you play? I played second base. Second base, okay. Yes. So if a baseball got hit, and second, it, it, maybe it like bounced in the second sure. baseman. Sure, ground ball, got it. Okay, I don't even know what that I'm on is. it, <laughs> okay. it's all good. Second baseman. I'm visualizing okay. it. Okay, what would be the most logical place to send that ball, especially if you've got a runner on third? Oh, home. Correct. Sure. Well, our brain essentially throws it in the outfield for, first. Okay, and detour. Then, detour, and then throws it home. Okay. So what happens is the signal from our stress center goes sent to the back of our brain, which is the part of our brain that makes our heart race, which makes our, our um, pupils dilate, which oh, makes yeah. our muscles tense, which makes our heart palpitate. I, if I said that one or not, um, yeah. all of those signs that say that we're stressed. Right. So it sends the signal there first before it eventually gets to our frontal lobe, uh. it has our conscious awareness of, oh, I'm stressed. So essentially your body will know what you're feeling before your brain even catches up to it. So if you are stressed, pay attention to where you manifest that stress. Is it in your shoulders? Is it in your palms? It's in my stomach. It's in your stomach. Yes. That's whenever, every time, every time I just get this like tension in my stomach. It gets in knots when something's going on. That's good. But you know that and you're aware of it. That's right. So now you just got to cue yourself. Okay. I need my frontal lobe to take over. So what do I do? Okay. I've paid attention to the tension. Your your stomach's in knots. So here's what you do. You change positions. If you're standing, sit. If you're um, leaning against the wall, maybe just kind of um, sway or walk around the room, change a position. Also, if you can do some deep breaths, that not only calms your heart rate, but if you can even pay attention to how it feels 
when you go in and out, like what it feels like for mm. your nostrils to have the hair even move with going in and out, that's going to interrupt that automatic response that we tend to have in those moments. Okay. Um, also go for a walk. If you can interrupt the conversation, if you're able to go for a walk, take a change of scenery. So those are some practical things you can do. Um, outside of that, best practices for almost kind of creating that pathway that we're wanting so that when we get in those moments, that that pathway, that well-traveled highway is already mm-hmm. been crafted, is we one of the best um, disciplines is meditating. Mm-hmm. Now, research on meditation is a very... Um, uh, what do you say? Sparks fly, I guess in the Christian community, because it's what are they meditating on? Right. Um, but if we can just put a lot of that, um, emotionally charged (laughs) debate on the shelf for a minute and just define it like this, when you meditate, say for example, when you are exercising or you're stretching and you're at the end, all you can think about is what? Finishing? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Just being over with, right? Right, right, right. Are you thinking about the conflict that you had the other night? No. Like when you're a woman in childbirth, are you thinking about, you know, all the things that bother you about your family? All no. you're thinking about is get this baby out. Yeah. So that's what I mean by just when your brain can truly is not thinking about anything else but just one thing. So research shows if you are able to just meditate for 15 minutes a week, you can actually affect your brain and your body on a cellular level at 3% of your brain and body would change. Mm. So that means that your, your, the way that your cells synthesize proteins, the Mm. way that they handle stress like cortisol and the hormone level, it actually changes the way that it responds to that on a cellular level. And if you up that to 15 minutes a day for eight weeks, it changes 8% Mm. of your body on a cellular level. Why do I care about that? Why does that even matter? Because if you meditate and put your brain in that space, you mm. actually affect your brain and your body. And we know from scripture, when you place that meditation on Christ, mm-hmm. I believe that the stats would go even higher because we're giving our the source of the right. life giving, right? Yeah. But the secular research, uh, apart from that, affirms what we know to be true in scripture. Yeah. And that's Psalm 1. We talk about this Uh, chapter in the Bible, often at the beginning of the book of Psalms, this idea of meditating on God's word. Yes. And that when you do that, you're like a tree planted by streams of water. So it sounds like research is pointing to that. It's catching up with what scripture's already been saying. That's right. Absolutely. So meditation. So continue on then. What does it continue to look like? So last couple things is once those things have been regulated, or if you're in a place where, you know what, um, me and me and my child were connected, we're good, but I just want to improve a few things attuned to them. So be mindful, consider from their perspective, what it feels like, what they're going through. Um, and then consider changing your nonverbals, your, um, your movements, your body language, your tone. So if 98% of what we're communicating is nonverbal, those are the three things that you're going to want to pay attention to. So your body posture, are you closed off? Are you open? How's your tone? Is it being said with, um, let me lend you my strength. (laughs) They're not saying it necessarily nice to you, but let me model and lend, Hey, you don't need to speak to me with disrespect to get your point across. I hear you. Yeah. Yeah. So communicating that through your tone. I've, I've even um, heard, I think it was Roby who was sharing about this, about just the practice of getting down on their level yeah. and getting eye to eye with them yes. does something to communicate in a nonverbal way, something yes. quite powerful. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, um, what if you've just blown it? 
what if like let's say you didn't follow all those steps yeah. and something set you off and you got angry and you didn't go for a walk mm. or you know what, what would you do then right <laughs> i know so that i mean i think that's very real and honest um i got get try to get in the habit of asking for a redo okay so when you're in the moment, you're like, oh, I started down that again, like e-break. I'm so trying hard not to do that. Um, if you want to take a break, I think you can, but you can also just pause and say, you know what? I didn't handle that right the first time. I'd like a redo. A lot of times I'll prompt my kids, you know what? Let's try that again. Can we, can we redo that and maybe try using your respectful tone? Your, you've got so many great words. Can you try that again with your, your good words? Yeah. Um, and prompting them, but as well as asking permission for a redo. Yeah. And that models so much for our kids that, hey, it's okay to make a mistake, but we're stronger for being able to stop and, and redo it and then end well. Yeah. So helping them see when our children are having that crazy exaggerated response. Mm-hmm helping them say, okay, Hey, let's try this again. Mm-hmm. I still want to hear you. Right. Uh, what you say matters to me, but not in this kind of yeah. tone, not in this kind of way. That's um, not showing honor and love. Yeah. Um, and so redoing it from both standpoints, from the parent standpoint, the child standpoint, yep. um, that's so good. And, uh, hopefully this content as people have been listening and watching, um, is helpful for us to think through. I think what's been most powerful for me, uh, hearing all of this is just thinking through, those areas in my own parenting that seem to be those sensitive Mm -hmm. touch points Mm -hmm. that either get me really frustrated and dig into those. Why is it that that, that sets me off to a place where I'm not able to support and lend the strength that my child needs Mm -hmm. in that moment. Mm -hmm. So uh, anything else before we wrap up our time, Rebecca? I think that's basically it. Just, um, you know, lead with empathy and stay connected to our kids and they'll follow you the rest of the way. Yeah. Yeah. At the end of the day, in those hard conversations, if we leave them connected, Mm. we might not be able to go, you know, you know, we might not be able to go from, from zero to a hundred, but we can move the needle in terms of our connection. And that's what we ultimately want as parents. We want children who love us, um, who love the Lord. And that's our desire. Well, we hope that this content has been helpful to you. Uh, feel free to share this with someone that, you know, a fellow parent, uh, who's a fellow struggler with you in this journey of trying to figure out what it looks like to be an empathetic parent. Uh, and so, um, if, if for now we'll just leave it at that, but thank you for joining us on this episode of the city rev life podcast. Thank you for joining us on city rev life. You can subscribe to this podcast, rate and review wherever you're listening to this. And we love it when you share it with your friends on social media. For more videos and content, go ahead and check us out at cityrev.org podcast or download our City Rev Church app. Have a great day.